All right, we're getting things set off. And uh, I'm trying to feel the energy here, folks. Um, I caught some kind of bug. I got a stuffly nose. I got a sniffly head. And I've got a scuffly body. To be honest, I'm not doing so hot. But it is a frenzied first quarter. And there is actually quite a bit to talk about. Um, I could not, in good conscience, um, not do the H-Bar News and Rumors show this week. There's just too much to talk about. And to be honest, <clears throat> if I didn't do it, the next episode would probably be three, maybe four hours long. So um, had to do it, have to do it. I've seen a lot of people too um, in the ecosystem, even some of the folks from Swirls, the H-Bar Foundation, a lot of these conferences they go to, all these different types of things. Um, people have been getting colds, people have been getting COVID, all these different things and still powering through it. You know, I've been working at my home office for, geez, like almost a decade now. So I don't have a ton of group activities and I don't know if I have the strongest immune system to be quite frank. I've got allergies. I've got, I think I got like an iron deficiency or something. So when I get sick, I get sick. So what I'll say is this, is if um, if you're in any rush at all, don't bother with listening to this live. Listen to this on Apple Podcasts later because, or YouTube or something later, because you can listen to it at one and a half times speed, two times speed, right? That's a pro tip for everybody out there. Um, but we are live on Twitter Spaces with another week in Hashgraph to unpack Let's take a quick look at what we're going to be talking about today. Um, no guests today. As I said, um, too much to talk about. And I don't have a ton of time this week. Um, I don't have time for a two-hour show, which I do think uh, a few people will be overjoyed about. So if you're in for a, if, if you're a fan of snappy news and rumors show, you're in the you're in the right place. We're going to be talking about. Um, Hedera and the government, um, the U.S. government, some interesting things happening there. Um, and some interesting insights, too, shared by um, Rob Allen on uh, the, uh, the H-Bar, um, on the H-Bar Bull show. Um, let me see here. We're going to be talking about, um, oh, I'm seeing a, a DM here that... Uh, Twitter spaces is rugging. Don't worry. I am getting DMs that there might be an issue with Twitter spaces. Um, if you are having an issue, no cause for alarm, no cause for concern. One of the things I do at the show is I record separately. Um, so that way nothing gets missed. So if for some reason Twitter spaces is doing something wonky, if you're ever listening to the show, I mean, there's not a whole lot I can do about it, but that's one great thing about having this recorded on other podcast platforms. So if you ever are having a problem, honestly, best way to fix is, is just restart Twitter. But uh, rest assured, the stuff's recorded, so you can always go back and listen to it later. Um, something else we're going to talk about is FSCO, Fresh Supply Company. Um, really interesting use case. I had the CEO... Um, on the show a couple episodes ago. Lots to talk about with FSCO. Um, Brett McDowell wrote an article 
in the uh, World Economic Forum website. Hedera has been continuing with some spicy tweets, which I like. Uh, my IO has integrated uh, GPT. Um, there's a new website uh, that's actually kind of cool. It's it tracks the top HBAR wallets by balance, which is kind of I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> let me see what else is going on here. Some some uh, music industry stuff to talk about. That's that's actually pretty fresh that I'm excited about. It's not just like minting music or uh, stuff like that. It's it's really interesting. Um, we're going to talk about DREC from Swords Labs. Hashpack has some updates. Let me see here. We got a new node, right? That's exciting. We're going to talk about uh, a new, so a couple new use cases. Um, yeah, quite a bit to unpack. I mean, a couple of these news items this week are pretty dense, um, and I took quite a few notes. So we'll we'll, we'll definitely need some time to uh, to uh, dive into it. Um, and yeah, if you need to catch up on previous week's news, head over to. It's brandond.com slash hbar, where you'll find past episodes. Um, and I mean, you know, when we talk about this first quarter, um, it's April 2nd, right? And that means we're two days into the, the second quarter. And January, February, and March was a pretty wild quarter for the Hedera ecosystem in, in a few ways. I mean, first of all, the Hedera ecosystem is kind of a, a microcosm within crypto, which is kind of a microcosm within the you know S and P five hundred. And um, with with that in consideration, I mean, we saw all the crazy things happening last year with you know Three Arrows Capital and FTX and all that kind of stuff. So many different crazy things happening. Um, and and this year, you know, this first quarter. That was still continuing um, also in the kind of traditional finance market with um, bank failures and all these different kinds of things, all sorts of different revelations, um, an onslaught of new information. And then within side of that little Hedera microcosm, um, there was a, a whole additional, you know, frenzy of activity. And most notably, in January, we had this, you know, quote, step function, right? Where we saw transactions jump from single digit um, to triple digit. And that that's huge. Um, that's something that the community has been waiting on for so long. And I mean, I reflected on this in, uh, you know, a couple episodes, maybe a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago. Um, it was so hard being a Hashgraph enthusiast where the mainnet was operating at single digit transactions. That was really tough because that's the whole selling point of Hedera, right? And it was really difficult to rely on hypotheticals um, when it came to expressing um, your enthusiasm with its technology. It was actually really tough. And it was, I think, a big psychological burden for um, this ecosystem. And I think that with that step function unfolding, it, it, it set a, a, a whole new different chain of events in motion based off of a different mindset, right? We went from a mindset of this thing that I'm excited about isn't currently doing what it can. And now it is, right? We have the, the, the main net running at, you know, three, sometimes four digit TPS, which is incredible. Um, and 
um, on that front, it's a different space psychologically. It's a, it's a different vibe. And it set off this, this kind of chain of frenzied activity. Um, and some of that we'll touch on in the show, but that's just the general consensus is in a, in a good way, also in a bad way. It's been a frenzy. There's been so much that has happened. Um, there's been so much growth within the Hedera ecosystem, right? There's been so many new things coming online, so many exciting things happening. But again, also at the same time, um, HBAR is still um, at single digit price, right? We're under 10 cents. It's it, in, in comparison to previous price action over the last one to two years, we're definitely um, suffering on that front. But that always brings the conversation around to um, this, this, this kind of asymmetrical situation, right? That, that we often find ourselves thinking about within the Hedera ecosystem. Um, and there's often, um, similarities drawn between Amazon in the late nineties and Hedera right now. Whereas in, at Amazon entering the new millennium and the, the burst of the dot-com bubble, you had a company that was financially very strong and continuing to grow and fortify with a stock price that was um, plummeting. And it wasn't a reflection of the company. It was a reflection of macro factors in the economy and in the world and in the sector. Um, and as we know, ultimately, Amazon proved to be very, very successful. And a lot of comparisons are drawn even by Lehman and Mance themselves between Hedera and Amazon. Um, and it's a really obvious one. It speaks to the confidence they have in the project. Um, and it does feel like it makes sense. It does feel like value on the network is continuously going up and the price of the underlying asset continues to go down. And this asymmetric, if you want to call it an asymmetrical opportunity, continues to um, grow. So I think that that's a renewed source of excitement for a lot of people in the Hedera community. And I think that has created a little bit of a, a disconnect in a good way from the rest of the market. A lot of people that I see come to Hedera say kind of like, oh, it feels like this is its own little world. Um, somewhat detached from the rest of the crypto industry, but kind of in a good way. It's kind of strange. Um, I think that that, again, that's really about two things for me. One is just this frenzy of activity we saw in this first quarter. And also, again, to really bring this right back to basics, this is a hash graph. It's also a new disruptive technology. Um, so I think this is an exciting time. It's also worth remembering that a lot of the um, goals that were set for the first quarter weren't met in regards to, you know, the number of use cases going live, all of these different types of things. Um, th those did fall short. But again, we need to have it in full context and look outside of the Hedera ecosystem and what things could be impacting um, certain elements within our ecosystem. So it's that it's that dance. It's that balance. What's happening in the big picture versus what's happening in the small picture? Because sometimes as you start to see a really big difference between the two and they're not aligned, that's where opportunities lie. That's uh, it's a vibe. It's the hash graph enthusiast way. And with that, good evening from Ottawa, Canada, everyone. My name is Brandon Davenport and I'm a developer, artist, and creative agency owner at Dirksen and Davenport Incorporated. And like all of you, 
I'm a Hashgraph enthusiast. It is Sunday, April 2nd, and there's a lot to talk about. Welcome to Hashgraph News and Rumors, episode 71, a frenzied first quarter. This is a weekly show that covers the top stories related to Hedera, HBAR, and everything in between. Broadcast live on Twitter Spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and made available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, every Monday. Get all the info you need about the show and listen to past episodes at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. If you're listening live, check out the Twitter thread pinned to the top of the spaces to take a deeper dive into each story. Also, everybody listening, take a moment now to share the spaces to let your friends know you're listening. The more the merrier, right? You can also click the little comment button at the bottom right of the spaces to ask a question or share something interesting that listeners might like to know. And I'll talk about it. Um, and the show continues to grow from hundreds of listeners to thousands, and that's because of people like you that take the time out of their day to listen. And this show is honestly by far one of my favorite things to do. I mean, here I am, like sick as a dog, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm at my desk, <clears throat> excuse me, and I've got my chair set to the lowest settings, so I'm sat so low at my desk, my my shoulders are almost at my desk, and I'm leaning forward, speaking into my phone right now. Um, I'm propped up. Um, if you're interested in being a supporter of the show, please consider making an HBAR donation. It helps me continually add value to the Hashgraph community and keeps the show ad-free. You can send a donation to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet, brought to you by listeners like you. Uh, so the first thing I want to talk about, um, well, I mean, I've already been rambling on about stuff, but the next thing that I want to talk about <clears throat> is the mainnet. Um, and network activity. Uh, so I'm using Metrica for this. And we've seen a, we've seen some interesting stuff, and I'll kind of speak to two things. So as I was saying earlier, we're all very excited of that, you know, quote-unquote step function, right? We're rocking and rolling. On the 28th of March, um, we saw transactions go from 700 per second um, to about 150. And that's continued for about five days now. Um, and <clears throat> to me, it's not clear why. It has been a point of some concern for the community, um, kind of not really understanding why that could be or what could be happening. As people know, um, and if you don't, most of the transactions on the network are... Um, submitted by Avery Dennison with their Atma IO use case, which we'll talk about soon. Um, and I'd say probably 90, 95% of the transactions on the network are from that one use case. And the types of transactions that they're submitting are to the Hedera consensus service. And I mean, a reminder, these are all real transactions that um, aren't just um, sending messages, they're actually transferring value each of these are paid transactions and they're real transactions. Um, now, to pay for these transactions um, up until now, and I, I'd assume continuing on for some time, these are subsidized by a grant from the HBAR Foundation. Um, so on the 28th, seeing transactions drop from 700 to 150 and continuing, and we haven't seen them rise back up, it's definitely a, uh, <clears throat> you know, a topic within the community. Um, if we go actually to the official Hedera um, website, 
hedera.com. On their homepage, they show live stats um, in regards to how many transactions were made over the last 24 hours. And that was sitting usually at about 60 or 70, or sorry, 50 or 60 million uh, transactions uh, per day. And right now it says 12. So we have seen a, a, a substantial decrease in, uh, in transactions on the network. Now, this brings us to some really interesting stuff. I've noticed um, a few people, I've noticed uh, Justin Atwell from Swirls um, speaking to this topic of kind of transactions being down a little bit, saying no cause for concern, right? Also, we saw the official Hedera Twitter account say, um, quote, you know, it's getting good on Hedera when over 12 million real world transactions in the past 24 hours is considered a slow day. Take comfort in knowing that in the future, a billion transactions will be considered a slow day. So I've been talking over these last week's episodes of um, my opinion that the confidence within Hedera, Swirls, and other, um, uh, other organizations within this kind of microcosm of the Hedera ecosystem um, they're all coming across like something has changed, almost like they had been waiting to be allowed to present their ideas in a particular way and have been given the all clear. And we've since seen these kinds of spicy tweets from Hedera. We've seen memes. We've also seen other representatives from HBAR Foundation, from Swirls, and from other governing council members speaking, I feel more openly more um, aggressively, more confidently um, about the network, about what's happening. It just, to me, feels like behind the scenes, some really um, important and powerful pieces have fallen into place. Because um, <clears throat> it is a big difference. That That's part of this kind of vibe of this frenzied first quarter is I, over these last few weeks and months, I've seen a transformation in how... Hedera and, you know, again, Swirls and the HBAR Foundation present the network and talk about the network. And tweets like that that I just read um, feel very different from the Hedera that we had last year. The Hedera last year um, would not ever really talk about activity on the network, right? It wouldn't comment as an organization or speculate or um, comfort the community or reassure the community. <clears throat> um, that's very new. And even saying something like, again, quote, take comfort in knowing that in the future, a billion transactions will be considered a slow day. Um, you know, Hedera has always kind of been faulted for being almost too straight-laced, too buttoned up, too enterprise. And for an organization like that that's consistently shown an incredibly conservative approach to how they talk about the network to say things like this, I think really speaks volumes. Um, and so that's just kind of what I'm inferring, um, bringing up those two specific things. And just again, just before we, we move forward into our next story, um, again, I want to kind of take this situation and kind of fold it into the broader situation, right? At the, at the beginning of the show, we were talking about how there's this um, distance, this asymmetric uh, quality to the state of things, right? Value on the network going up, 
price of HBAR going down. Of course, there's macro factors involved, all those different types of things, but there is that asymmetric quality, right? And in this particular situation, which you could argue is very important to the health of the network, we have TPS down substantially, but we have Hedera um, really taking a whole new approach to this and being much more aggressive with their messaging. Um, on the topic of a metric being down, so it does feel like this situation, this asymmetric um, circumstance is starting to creep more into the kind of the psyche and the zeitgeist of this community. Um, and it feels like a pressure. It feels like um, things are, the, the ante is being upped. So it's very exciting. It feels very frenzied. Um, it, you could very well say that this was a frenzied first quarter and it could be an even frenzier um, second quarter. Um, but that's just, an, you know, looking at the main net activity, all these different things, small picture, big picture, micro, macro, all these different types of things. Um, <clears throat> it just, the common thread is an, something, as, uh, you know, asymmetric in nature. Something's not adding up, but there's opportunity in that. <clears throat> Avery Dennison, Atma.io, some exciting news that has nothing to do with Hedera, but um, that is worth highlighting. Um, last week on the uh, Hashgraph Enthusiast News and Rumors, I had patches from Turtle Moon Command Center on to talk about artificial intelligence, um, GPT, and the intersection of Hashgraph and uh, AI. Um, and um, on that topic, just to quickly re-highlight something that I really didn't get a chance to touch on um, last week was um, Atmio integrating um, GPT. And again, this doesn't really have a ton to do with Hedera, but it does sit at that intersection a little bit, right? Um, and some notes from this, uh, let me just load up my notes here. Um, so <clears throat> they've announced kind of a, a, a slew of updates to their product cloud. And a key insight from this update is the platform now manages over 28 billion items for brands across various sectors. Um, and the spring 2023 update incorporates new AI updates, including the integration of chat GPT for automating alert response. So this would be about providing um, automated updates and alerts that are much more contextual in plain English, um, which is really interesting. The generative AI will enable better, uh, sorry, oh my God, I need to have a sip of my coffee. <clears throat> I'm doing the best I can here, folks. Ah, wonderful. I got honey in this coffee, local honey. Um, the generative AI will enable better collaboration and more efficient communication among partners within the supply chain while ensuring privacy and data protection compliance. Um, so, uh, and, and just the last thing here is the Atma.io team is working on additional capabilities such as natural language queries, content creation, and intelligent personalized notifications. So all that clumped together, um, it, it kind of speaks to two things here. A, it speaks to how innovative these governing council members are. It's good to see um, governing council members starting to leverage um, AI. Um, and, it, and it does show that we have innovative companies on the council. But also, um, it's exciting to see how Avery Dennison could find ways in which um, Hashgraph and AI could be leveraged together um, on a larger scale. 
and if there will be any crossover in that respect um it isn't clear and i'm i'm assuming there is no crossover between the chat gpt integration in their product cloud and hashgraph or the hedera network but i'm going to be watching this because <clears throat> like we were talking about last week there are definitely things to be discovered and ways in which um, hedera can kind of help with some of the shortcomings of ai and Atma.io could be one of those first um, use cases to um, cross that intersection, which would, on a larger scale, which could be interesting. Um, and, you know, a, a good example was that glass to glass white paper that we were looking at last week um, in regards to broadcast companies tokenizing every frame from a, from a video broadcast on a hash graph to ensure that the viewer is watching something unmodified or something like that. So when we look at supply chains and all sorts of different things, all sorts of ideas um, can, can pop into your head. So watch Atma.io. Um, new website too that, that launched. This is just kind of fun. I wanted to bring it up. Um, Hedera-leaderboard.com. It basically ranks the top 500 wallets in regards to balance of HBAR. It's pretty cool. Um, I mean, every network has one of these. I'm, I'm certain that we had one of these in the past. There was an old network explorer, um, hash hash, right? Hash dot hash dot info or something. <clears throat> Is that thing still kicking around? I don't know if it is. If it is, it's a good sign, but I don't know. We'll wait for it to load, but yeah. Top 500 accounts. You can go see if uh, you're a top 500 account. I mean, the the number 500 has three and a half million HBAR in it. So if you got over three and a half million, you might have a chance to be on the rankings. Number one account has two billion HBAR. It's probably Swirls or one of the governing council members or something. So <clears throat> cheers to that. Um, also fun update. Hedera got a gold Twitter check mark and a square profile picture. Um, apparently that costs something like a grand or like 20 grand a month or something I read. I don't know. Um, it's an appearances thing. I mean, Christian Hasker from Swirls seems pretty excited about it. Um, and it had to happen. I mean, regardless of what you think about Twitter um, and that program, um, I mean, there's a big battle right now, just bringing this back into the AI conversation just real quick. Um, if folks are familiar, you know, you can get, uh, the professional version of chat GPT for 20 bucks a month. It's not like that pays for your usage. Um, it's probably much, much more than that to run the system. The only reason they're doing that is to ensure that um, they only have humans utilizing the web interface, right? Or the API. Um, and Twitter is much the same. Twitter is dealing with um, AI issues. And so I think that that's why they're diving even deeper, you know, of course, to drive the bottom line, but it's really, you know, the only way to combat that. I really feel that, unfortunately, um, the the main, let me see here if I can word this right. Um, when we look at the line between AI um, overcrowding the spaces in which humans spend time and share information that line is um the processes a bank uses to issue you a credit card that's what that's what's that's what this is right now the the, the line right now is to see who 
has been through that process via a bank by asking them to pay a nominal amount as a credit card transaction. That's what this is about, right? And I think that, you know, um, I believe Instagram is going to this model. Um, a couple other websites are going to this model. Um, and I really think it's that's the only mechanism that we have right now um, that, that most of the world's population would have access to. And <clears throat> a square profile picture and a gold check mark it, it does say a lot to people on the platform, right? It speaks to the authenticity and it's important at a time when scams are really prevalent in the Hedera ecosystem and um, there can there can be general mistrust. So good to see, shout out, it's a win. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> the music space, um, I really do feel that the music industry keeps dipping their toes into hash graph as a technology and um, uh, learning more that the scope of distributed ledgers goes beyond blockchain. I, in my experience, speaking to independent artists and uh, companies that I work with, um, it's really difficult to have a conversation if you use the words blockchain crypto or nft um and hashgraph is really exciting because um a lot of times when i speak to people i'll position the conversation and say listen i'll give you a hundred bucks if i use the words blockchain crypto or nft um i'm not going to use those words because i'm not talking about that i'm talking about a completely different technology um and um i think that as the music industry starts to learn more and more about inefficiencies that they see <clears throat> and some of the ways that these new technologies can fit it, we're starting to see interesting things like this. So Alex Russman from the HBAR Foundation, the head of the Metaverse Fund, um, tweets out about Studio 100 embracing Web3 customer engagement. They're utilizing Venly Wallet. Um, and basically what this is, is it's a very large venue um, that's using um, Venly to interact with customers and and uh, submit payments and all these different types of things. And it's exciting because when you think about a you know a band or an artist that has albums and maybe you've purchased their digital album, or how about this? I'm an artist and I say, if you've listened to more than 50 hours worth of my music and you 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 get, 10% off of my concert tickets or something like that. These, these new technologies are going to allow these opportunities to happen for artists and the industry. And so seeing things like this is very exciting to me because it's not just another digital collectible. Um, it's not just um, another uh, coin, right? This is a core piece of infrastructure for music, a giant venue, leveraging a new technology. Um, and we're also seeing, you know, the evil villain Ticketmaster is also looking at these kinds of new technology. So Hashgraph is the best aligned technology and they're dipping their toes and they're seeing something they like. So I dig that. I like it. Um, something else we're going to talk about um, that's a big one is Hedera and the State Department. Um, the, the, the U.S. government, um, it does feel like something that was pretty obvious. Um, but there's some very interesting tidbits and key insights in this that I'll break down with you. I made a bunch of notes. Um, so 
here's what it boils down to is when hash when Hedera first became kind of a public network, um, one of the reasons they wanted to become a public network was a conviction in the fact that looking outwards, you know, 10, 50, 100 years, um, most likely the best case scenario if we have things like CBDCs and an intertwining of um, DLTs and government, <clears throat> it would be best leveraged on a public network, right? So watching years of Lehman and Mance and other core members of, of that initial team talk about the network, all these different things, you always got the feeling that they were playing a little bit of a different game, a little bit of a bigger game. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, last year and, and this year, we saw a lot of different run-ins with the government versus certain crypto entities and the SEC. And now we have this video of Elizabeth Warren um, posted today and stuff. So there's definitely some tension building. And the, there, there's, a, there's an initiative um, from the U.S. Uh, Department of State that's the private sector commitments to advance democracy um, that kind of like aligns with um, the presidential plan for this kinds of things. And despite what you think about the, the, the current administration or different things, that's a whole other conversation. I think that this is something that if we look at it as a um, potential validating factor of the network, it's really, really interesting. So I'll bring up a couple, I'm just gonna go into these notes, we're gonna dive into it, there's a lot to talk about. Um, <clears throat> Hedera is the only Web3 company among 150 participants included in this, in this initiative. Um, so that's the first thing to keep in mind as we, as we take a look at this. Um, also too, it, it's, it's explicitly stated in this release that the, you know, the U S government does not endorse the companies, um, included in this and their various initiatives, but it is clear from what I've heard that there is some level of vetting that has likely occurred, right? So um, these entities that are a part of this initiative through the U.S. Department of State and the U.S. government have been through some vetting um, process. And Hedera has clearly demonstrated a commitment to a positive social impact and following through on commitments they've expressed that align with these types of initiatives at a huge scale. Um, this again, this is uh, this is an initiative um, that is coming from the highest office in you know in uh, in the economy, right? I mean, I know it's the government, but this steers a lot of stuff. You've got major players in here. These 150 companies are juggernauts um, and they're all aligning under this. And Hedera is the only Web3 company listed here. Um, and that's worth highlighting. Um, <clears throat> so there's four areas to this initiative. Um, and those are advancing technology for democracy, fighting corruption, protecting civic space and human rights defenders, and advancing labor rights. Um, Hedera uh, is a part of one of these initiatives, which is the um, protecting civic space and human rights defenders. Um, so basically this initiative positions Hedera as a credible player in the technology sector. It's not 
just another crypto company. And it's important to understand this. Yes, Hedera might be the only Web3 company um, as, a, as a part of these 150 companies, as a part of this initiative. What, what Hedera also is, is one of the many top tier technology companies as a part of this initiative. And so I think that that recontextualization is important and potentially furthers Hedera into that, again, that higher level as not just another crypto company, but a leading technology company alongside all the other ones, which is very interesting. Um, also too, it does help counterbalance negative perceptions of crypto and encourages regulators to consider the benefits of blockchain technology and digital assets. So what I mean by that is having a company like Hedera as a part of these key conversations and with this kind of visibility and direct involvement with high levels of U.S. government, um, we see Hedera stepping into a position of being an advocate and an educator in these types of technologies for the US government. And also too, we've seen this um, almost at a higher rate for other governments around the world. But now when we look at the US, it's taken time, but Hedera has a seat at a very important table. Um, and <clears throat> there's a couple other points here. Um, so they're featured in the uh, Protecting Civil Space and Human Rights Defenders. So uh, Hedera will be convening uh, a democracy roundtable on blockchain technologies. Um, they're going to talk about supporting human rights, transparency, and sustainability, right? Speaking to those core things, but also making sure they get in that sustainability angle, because I think that that's really going to um, set, I think that's one of the key things that sets them apart from other Web3 companies. Uh, they're going to talk about different applications, including government accountability, fighting misinformation, right? That could very well be some of those types of use cases, like we talked about glass to glass, um, tokenizing video frames, right? To prevent counterfeit video frames going into your eyeballs, uh, reducing data manipulation, and tracking financial flows. Um, when they say tracking financial flows, I just go, you know, what about an old overhaul of the IRS there? Um, Hedera will invite companies, trade associations, advocacy groups, academics, and government officials, uh, and they'll publicly share a summary of the discussion and recommendations for next steps. That's a key thing here. Um, who is going to be um, providing recommendations for next steps within an initiative outlined by the U.S. Department of State. Hedera will be. Um, very cool. Now, <clears throat> obviously, this has brought up discussion in the community, and there's two, I think, main discussions happening around this news in the community. First is um, regulatory implications. So, and I'll just read kind of my notes here. Hedera's involvement in the Democracy Roundtable may positively impact its regulatory standing, right? So, um when we look at the other side of this, which is all the confusion and frenzy around regulation, what is a security, what's a commodity, um, there's no way that this has a negative impact for, for Hedera. Um, this is definitely a good look. And again, they're the only Web3 company included in this initiative. Um, 
Also, people are discussing the SEC's perceived protection um, uh, of. Uh, no, that doesn't even that doesn't even matter. Um, some of my notes, things move so fast. Some of my notes are even outdated. Um, I wrote these like, when did I write these? Friday, Thursday or Friday, or when this news came out, when did it come out? Yeah, maybe Thursday, so they're already out of date. Um, <clears throat> that's how fast things move in this space. Um, the community also um, acknowledges uh, challenges regarding properly regulated envir uh, a regulated environment for the crypto industry. So speaking again to those regulations, um, I think that something interesting about the Hedera community is I do feel like when we, if we were, here's the thing, if we were to go to that list of top 500 HBAR holders um, versus the top 500 holders of currency, of an underlying asset on another network, um, I do feel that um, Hashgraph enthusiasts, investors are generally really well educated on these kinds of things. And so a lot of the conversations I'm seeing around this in particular is pretty nuanced. It's pretty tempered. Um, it's very productive um, in, I think, stark contrast to some other communities. And so I think that, again, that's a little bit of social proof as to why Hedera was the, the only Web3 company included in this. Um, I think the community is a really good kind of like temperature check on what the culture of Hedera is. Um, the other thing the community is talking about is uh, the significance that this has on the future of Hedera. Of course, this brings um, really big visibility um, and credibility um, due to the mention in this release. So um, maybe this isn't going to get the attention of the masses, um, but having that really fascinating tidbit of being the only Web3 company included in this initiative is very juicy. Um, and I do think that, again, as we see um, renewed and heightened debate within the U.S. government, a lot of, you know, you know some senators and, and officials being very opposed to crypto, some being more pro-crypto. Um, this is really fresh ammunition for the argument of, of, of DLT technologies and crypto um, really being worth it. And having Hedera at the center of that is really powerful. Um, and of course, this is going to attract investors. Um, now, <clears throat> uh, this is the other thing is, the other thing is um, the impact on the technology that this is going to have on, on various industries such as voting systems um, could lead to further adoption. So um, it's always been floated out there, right? We've always talked about DLTs in general, but I think with the with the security of the Hedera network, um, many many times I've heard people go, "Wow, this would be a really great technology to leverage for um, voting in the U.S. or different things like that, or different government operations and things like that." And I think that as Hedera gains more visibility, um, the chances of those things, although very small right do increase a little bit so that's also very interesting that's some of the conversation um, in the community on this um, but i mean the key takeaway here is um it shows how um insightful the vision from manson lehman is 
Um, I think that if you were to go back to 2017 and and watch Mance's speech at Harvard, lecture at Harvard, or go back to 2018 and watch um, the launch of the public network, <clears throat> and at that time say, did you know that five or six years later, um, Hedera is going to be the only um, Web3 company included in, in an initiative um, with the U.S. Department of State. You really would have thought a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time about what this technology is going to do and how disruptive it's going to be. Um, so reading this news now, who knows what's going to happen? I think that step functions can come in all forms. Um Another top story this week is FSCO. We've talked about Fresh Supply Company um, for quite a while on the spaces. And we eventually had um, David, CEO, um, on the show as a guest. We spoke about what they're building um, and we talked about what their tech stack does, the value that it brings to the supply chain space. And... Um, what does this mean for the MasterCard Hedera connection? Um, so <clears throat> a few key points about the FSCO stuff. Um, there's two key parts to this use case, um, capturing information and then data-driven payment triggering. Um, so <clears throat> this is the FSCO, the food supply chain um, ontology is tokenizing assets and events throughout the agri-food supply chain to enable complete transparency and deep verifiable data for financiers. So um, they're doing things like proof of uh, existence, proof of work, proof of supply, proof of quality, proof of specification. And the data is used to activate conditional event-based payment triggering. So what the hell does that mean? So when we look at these supply chains in the agri-food space, um, you're looking at um, food products, milk, meat, you know, all these different types of things. Um, where did they come from? How are they sourced? How do they get changed? How do they ultimately get delivered? And what types of loans and payments and assessments and analysis have to happen in this space? And this is very, very similar to if you can wrap your head around the Atma.io use case, right? The key thing with Atma.io was, um, you know, the 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 the, the uh, carbon um, the carbon markets are very opaque, um, not transparent at all, and you know, this is kind of the same. Is it's maybe not strictly about carbon markets. <clears throat> Um, it's also about facilitating payments and these different types of things. So when we look at the space, there have to be, there, there's loans that have to get made from one supplier to another, from one financier. They have to make sure that, you know, that, you know, that these products actually exist, that the quality is correct, um, that the supply is accurate, that the work is being done. And this is a, you know, the FSCO is a tech stack that does some really interesting things. I'd say 
I don't know if it leverages the Guardian. It's very similar to the Guardian in the respect of it's like uh, it's an entire tech stack that can be used um, by for, for different use cases and subsets of use cases. Um, and what's really fascinating here is the is the Mastercard connection. Um, so <clears throat> uh, let me let me read through here. So of course the AgriFood value chain has traditionally been complex and opaque limiting financiers to balance sheets and provident loss statements during risk assessment. It's really slow and efficient. By digitizing food production and trade, FSCO allows financiers to analyze and validate goods and assets flowing into and out of a business, enabling the team to substitute cash flows on a continuous basis. So <clears throat> that's what this does. It, it starts to have things flow more there's less um, stops and starts for analysis and everything like that. <clears throat> and they're migrating their service. So this is something that's been running for a while and they're migrating to Hedera. They're gonna be utilizing the consensus service and the token service. But what's, what, what's interesting and that I talked about with David is they migrated from the MasterCard provenance blockchain. So, um, that's what makes this use case particularly interesting is MasterCard had a private blockchain that companies would utilize for things like this. MasterCard sunset that product. So FSAO went, okay, we need to unplug our tech stack from this blockchain, MasterCard Providence, and plug it in somewhere else. After much, much research, they plugged it into Hedera, but what they bring along with it is the tooling on the other side to feed MasterCard payments into that blockchain that it's connected to. Um, so that's what makes this really interesting is um, a lot of these payments being made in this use case are made using MasterCard and those activities will be written to the mainnet. So that's exciting. Um, and <clears throat> it's often been talked about in Hedera that what if one of these major MasterCard companies like Visa or MasterCard became a governing council member or developed a use case on Hedera? Um, it's often brought up too that the governing council model was inspired by um, the structuring of Visa and one of the books that the founders of Visa wrote. Um, so there are all these connections, but it was always just kind of inferring different things and also kind of Really what it came down to was, well, at some point, one of them is going to have to join the governing council. But when would we actually start to see some of that connective tissue form? And it's here now, right? MasterCard transactions will be done on FSCO's tech stack, and those will be written to Hedera. So now there's actually a technical connection between MasterCard and Hedera, which is really exciting. Um, and, oh yes, I am correct. FSCO plans to integrate with the Hedera Guardian. Um, so that makes things even more powerful. And, and you know, we talked last week about the Guardian. There's a lot of exciting things happening with the Guardian. Um, now, this is one thing that's really interesting to me, just um, going back on some comments that David made, um, the CEO of FSCO, um, that he made <clears throat> uh, this week that I found very interesting. Um, the first thing that he said in an interview, I believe, with the HBAR Bull, he said he can't share much, <clears throat> but there is a part two to the MasterCard story. 
What does that mean? Um, we have seen um, governing council members and people within the Hedera circle mention all sorts of different numbers of governing council members, and there there are common slip-ups, right? We have 28 governing council members now. We've heard people say 32 or all sorts. Of, so, and we've also heard Shane from the HBAR Foundation say they have 30 companies in the pipeline for the governing council. There are many coming. There's, you know, I think one or two that are ready to be announced. When they'll be announced, I don't know. Uh, but it really makes you think, what is the part two to this MasterCard story? Um, it's very interesting. <clears throat> and it's made even more interesting because we have seen, excuse me, oh my God. I'm, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to hold out as long as I can, folks. Um, we've, You know what? We've only got, we're, we're almost through it. We're almost through it. I just did like one of those, I don't even want to talk about it. I, I did a burp and it was very strange. Like, was it an inverted one? Don't quite know how I feel about it. Um, but the other thing with MasterCard is we've seen them partner with other use cases on Hedera as well, not being connected in a technical fashion like we've seen with FSCO, but we have seen them as either a partner um, or a supporter of other use cases on Hedera. So the connections are growing. I'd say it's very similar to Microsoft, right? We've seen so many different connections between Microsoft and Hedera, going as far as um, a representative from Hedera speaking on a panel with a representative from Microsoft, and of course, Microsoft being partnered with um, Project New Dawn from EM Tech, a CBDC um, uh, project, right? Microsoft was a partner for that. MasterCard does kind of the same thing. So there are these other connections as well that are very interesting. Um, <clears throat> so it begs the question, is MasterCard joining the governing council? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think we've been as rich in governing council rumors as we have now. I mean, if folks recall, Hedera, the official Hedera account accidentally followed Sony Right, and we we talked about that at length uh, that week when it happened. But um, you really think about who could be joining the governing council. Um, another thing about S FSCO. Oh, sorry. The second thing that David said that was really fascinating was um, when asked about what impact will this new use case going live have on the mainnet. Um, David said they will be tokenizing, quote, enough items, and we, quote, won't be disappointed in network usage. So this speaks to something else about FSCO and David in particular. This is, again, this is an enterprise use case. Um, this is not something kind of like, quote, unquote, crypto. But I do want to speak to the approach that FSCO is taking because I think it's really good. FSCO is doing something different than a lot of other enterprise use cases on Hedera. Um, a lot of people have seen the CEO on Twitter engaging with the community. He started um, very suddenly in um, early March, February. <clears throat> and FSCO and David both come across as though they have something to prove to 
this community, right? And that feels very different from other enterprise use cases. Um, you didn't have representatives from a from Atma IO, you know, commenting every few hours on conversations within Twitter that were happening regarding Hedera and their use case and different things. Um, they're taking the approach that a Hedera project would take, arguably that an NFT project would take. And it, it's very powerful because um, I don't think that um, the users of their platform is us, but galvanizing the community behind your use case, I think early on is a really powerful thing. Um, and I think that that's how they come across. And I, I don't think there's something wrong with it. Um, the Hedera community is still pretty small in comparison to some other communities. And the the ways in which FSCO communicates what they're doing comes across as though they have something to prove to this community. Um, that's what I take from it. And I and I think it's great. I think a lot of other companies should, should take that approach because um, I think that this community can definitely be um, a strong wind in your sails. Um, and like we saw with the Twitter post from the U.S. State Department, all the comments in there are, you know, Hedera-related comments and hangry barboons and dead pixels and all these different types of things. It's this community aspect that's really exciting and I think makes people very curious. Um, so props to FSCO. David, shout out. I think you're taking this the right way. It's a fresh approach to um, enterprise and um, uh, embracing these kind of microcosms of what you're, of what you're doing. Um, FSCO is stepping in and they're going to be leveraging this new technology, Hashgraph from Hedera. There's a community behind that. Let me engage with it. Let me get them on my team. Let me have them advocate for what I'm doing and support what I'm doing. <clears throat> I think it's great. Shout out. Just something I noticed. I don't know if anyone else noticed it. It doesn't feel like an enterprise um, use case um, for the better. <clears throat> um, now, let me see here. Another uh, big item, our last big item of the day, is this article from Brett McDowell in the uh, World Economic Forum blog. Um, the article is called How We Create an International Framework for Privacy Preserving Digital ID. Um, and... <clears throat> Brett McDowell has this thing that he's identified as the panopticon problem, which is how can you have true privacy with a digital ID that's international, that is a product that you don't constantly have to re-authenticate. So for example, if I have a Canadian passport and I go to another country, there's effectively some form of audit that happens, right? Now, if I were to have some kind of international ID, the idea would be I get to another country, have some kind of zero knowledge proof interaction, and there is no audit needed. But because of 
different standards and different methodologies, it kind of is difficult because even though you could have an international digital identity and you then get to another place or go to do something, there's always going to be the need to do that same re-auditing or verification. Um, So what do, what's the solution for that? And Brett McDowell kind of touches on this. So I'm going to go over some of my notes in this article, but there's 850 million people that lack official identification. So think about that. There's like, what, 7, 8 billion people in the world. Um, you can say that over like 10 to 15% of the world's population doesn't have ID. They don't have an identification um, of who they are. And that is kind of crazy. I mean, we all have some form of identification. Um and almost a billion people don't. Um, And that basically means that they can't really participate in the world the same way most other people do, uh, which does make the world a little less diverse. Um, Now, decentralized digital ID enables more effective participation in the digital economy with privacy-preserving features. The World Economic Forum's Digital ID Initiative aims to establish an international framework for digital ID policies and standards. Now, one high-level note that um, Brett McDowell brings up time and time again is, generally when they talk about digital ID, they're also talking about non-human things, right? So similar to products running through the Avery Dennison supply chain, right? Um, All of those products have a digital ID. So it's not just a human that would travel to another country and have to have a digital ID. It could also be a product that has to travel to another country with a digital ID. And all the optimizations that can come from that, something not having to be audited and just boop, scan, right? That fluidity. So, um, yeah, so centralized digital ID systems face the panopticon problem where providers have access to all user transactions and interactions. So that's what Brad McDowell is is talking about is um, that's the problem to be solved, but you have to solve it in a fashion in which you also eliminate the need for constant authentication and re-auditing. So... Uh, blockchain or hashgraph powered decentralized digital IDs provide a better privacy and compliance, um, removing the need for an identity provider. That's important. Users store digital identity metadata on a blockchain or hashgraph and personal information in digital wallets with verified credentials. State-of-the-art decentralized digital ID technology is rapidly evolving with innovations like, quote, soul-bound tokens, which are basically um, either an NFT or something that you'd hold in your wallet that would be uh, programmatically um, frozen in your wallet by the network. So you can do that on Hedera now where you can put NFTs in people's wallets and then freeze them so they can't remove them from their wallet. Effectively, um, a very uh, rudimentary form of digital ID in some form or fashion. Um, So this is also really interesting. Um, There are tools like Envision's blockchain's Guardian, right? We talked about the Guardian before, um, that help migrate the risk of fraud in tokenized climate asset marketplaces. So again, talking about those use cases where digital IDs are leveraged that aren't about people, right? It's about products, it's about um, assets. Um, 
digital, uh, decentralized digital ID relies on open technology standards, open source blockchain infrastructure, and public registry. So that's the other key highlight, and kind of speaks a bit to the the whole State Department stuff with the with the U.S. government. Is again. I think Hedera is really pushing for a lot of this to be built on a public network, which I think is critical. And we see it here in an article on the World Economic Forum website. And again, <clears throat> I, I don't think this is about what you think about the, the World Economic Forum. I think this is about Hedera having a seat at the table. And they appear to be advocating for things that align with um, the values of the community. And one of those key things is that these types of activities... Um, happen on a blood on a public um, network right um, the the forms digital ID initiative engages stakeholders to create an international policy and standards framework um, so <clears throat> this was the key insight here and this key insight doesn't come from this article I had to go back to an interview that Brett McDowell did on the gossip about gossip podcast with Zenobia from swirls and he shared a key piece of information um, that really clarifies all of this. What Brett McDowell said is, there needs to be a focus on policy level interoperability. So that's the missing piece to all this, right? We can change from the current system to an international digital ID, but that doesn't necessarily solve the problem where a country would um, interface with a digital ID either for a person or for a product and go, okay, we trust this trustless system. Most likely they'll want to do their own um, audit in some fashion or analysis. And that would be counterintuitive for the whole purpose of something like this. So what Brett McDowell is talking about is policy level interoperability. What that means is that there is new standards established uh, new international standards established for um, these different policies. So that way, it's a different situation. If all of these different countries are using the same policy standards for an international digital ID for humans and for products, then it creates that parity. So that is a really important key insight from, from Brett McDowell that I appreciate is you can for sure have interoperability from a technical standpoint, but if you don't have it from a policy standpoint, it's not going to work. Um, <clears throat> also too, um, it ties into tokens representing ownership of property, intellectual property, or financial instruments. So that's the other side to this is once you have a tokenized digital identity for a product or a person, you can instantly do all sorts of different things with that, tie it to all sorts of different pieces of information and be able to perform actions and, and checks on somebody without having access to the information. And that's the key here is right now, they have access to your information. If, for example, your bank goes, or if you go to your bank and you say, listen, I'd love a line of credit for $25,000. Your bank has to say, hey, do you have an income of over $100,000? And you have to somehow um, <clears throat> prove that, right? You have to go through some kind of um, auditing process. With this new system, it would basically be the, the bank saying, does this person have an income of greater than this amount? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, great. So that's what this is all about. And I think that, sure, the technology part of it is one thing, but it's also the policy part. 
So that's one key insight from Brett McDowell that's important. Um, and that's that's Brett's article. Read it. I mean, um, it's a lengthy one, but it's good. And watch the and watch the video. I mean, again, this stuff is not super like cool, <laughs> you know, but it's big. It's big stuff. Same with the with the U, you know, the U.S. government and Hedera working group kind of thing. It's like it's big stuff. So keep up keep up to date on it. It's important to stay up to date on. Um, <clears throat> those are really our major stories, um, and I have a few more updates to wind up uh, the episode here. Um, there's an article on uh, Coin United, which is a news website for something I haven't heard of it. Um, the, the reason that I bring up this article is because it's concerning a product from Swirls Labs called DREC. Folks unfamiliar, DREC is, an, is a new technology being developed by Swirls um, that enlists helpers, which are people or other entities that you're connected to that would share um, a secret, aka your private key. So that way, if for some reason you misplaced your private key, your helpers could be leveraged and their devices could be leveraged to regain access to your account. Um, it also may lead to a situation where you won't need to have your private key to do things. Um, and, it, and there's some special specific things that this system does. Um, and it's, you know, DREC, decentralized recovery. Also, that it could be used for decentralized custody. It's a new technology leveraging old technologies, which is funny. I mean, it's a common theme with Dr. Lehman Baird, right? Hashgraph is arguably old technologies leveraging a new idea. Um, same with DREC. There's a, there's a, there's a theme here. Um, but the only reason I bring this up is this is an article writing about it from a website I don't recognize. So somehow news and information about DREC is um, making its way into the broader crypto space, which I think is great because this is a piece of software. This is a new resource being developed that isn't specific to Hedera. It could be used by any network. So I just wanted to highlight this. Uh, we don't need to dive into it anymore, um, but this is the one of the first times I'm seeing DREC being talked about just kind of in a random publication, um, which is a signal to me that there's some eyeballs on this now. Um, Hashpack um, is, uh, is uh, coming out swinging. Um, they've published some numbers and it's very cool. They have a quarter million users on Hashpack, or I'm sorry, a hundred, uh, sorry, a quarter million accounts created on Hashpack. Most notably, <clears throat> most of those accounts hold HBAR. There's an average account balance of 16,000 HBAR, um, which is worth noting, right? I mean, um, when we look at different wallets, sometimes the amount of accounts um, reflected don't hold any HBAR. So you wonder how accurate those metrics are. Uh, but Hashpack does have over 4 billion HBAR um, inside of a quarter million account, or sorry, uh, yeah, accounts um, on their platform. So that's, that's pretty crazy. And they do compare it against um, competitor B, right? Competitor C. I'm assuming that competitor B is Blade, um, B for Blade, and competitor C is, 
I don't know. Um, maybe Walla Wallet? Couldn't be, though. Walla Wallet must have more accounts than that. I don't know. Um, but uh, Hashpack is, you know, I think that's an important metric to highlight. Yeah, you have a ton of accounts, but how many of them have HBAR in it? So um, quarter million accounts. Shout out to Hashpack. Congrats. Keep it rocking and rolling. Um, and they also published something regarding Wallet Connect. So in the ecosystem, um, generally, when there is a core piece of infrastructure either being added or taking away or taken away or modified, um, really, the HIP process is designed for that. And I think that a lot of people get alarmed when something like that happens that didn't have a HIP. And for those that are familiar with the, you know, Hedera improvement proposal process, right, the HIP process is it's a way in which regular people can help influence the network and, and there can be HIPs that are um, really kind of core infrastructure that require voting um, from the governing council. Also, there's some HIPs that are pretty straightforward, maybe just a set of standards. An example of that would be HIP 412 for um, uh, NFT metadata standards. Um, I was one of the authors on that. Um, but that process is great because it allows people like me to have, in, to have input and influence the network, right? That's what this is all about. That's what this Web3 stuff is all about. And it can be disheartening when um, things are changed without a process like that happening. Because what it tells the community is we're not equal, right? And I think that that can cause problems. The HIP process, by definition, kind of sends a signal to the community that, listen, whether you're sitting on the board of Hedera or whether you're doing a cool NFT project, um, we have equal opportunity to influence the network and make it the best that we can make it together. Um, and <clears throat> in this post from Hashpack regarding Wallet Connect, and folks unfamiliar with Wallet Connect, Wallet Connect is a integrations platform that allows different wallets from different networks and all these different types of things interface with each other. It's an, it, it, you can think about it as interoperability for wallets, right? To do sorts of different things. So it's a good, it's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> but in how I'm just going to read a section here, um, from, uh, Hashpack. So Hashpack says, <clears throat> what took so long for this new wallet standard to be put in place because as we know, there's Hash Connect, right? Which is Hashpack's SDK um, that allows different dApps to um, connect with Hashpack. Blade Wallet has their own. Um, I don't know if Walla Wallet has their own, but it allows you to connect your wallet to an application. <clears throat> and really the goal of this is, could we have one that would kind of be interoperable with all sorts of different wallets on Hedera, but also interface with wallets and other networks and everything. Very cool, right? So what's taking so long? What took so long? So Hashpack says, quote, at the beginning of March, the library was made public. And the library, by the way, they're referring to kind of a code library, a bundle of code that would be utilized to bring this new standard to life, right? That, that other wallets in the ecosystem would use. The library was made public by another wallet provider um, that had 
elevated access to the repository, right? The repository being um, the, the bucket in which these different libraries of code are made accessible to the community. This was done without the knowledge of Swirls and without any cooperation, knowledge, or input from other major ecosystem partners. The library remains public to the Hedera GitHub, but we currently consider it not ready for production use. Again, this is from Hashpack. We're involved in discussions with Swirls, DHBAR Foundation, and other ecosystem participants around how to move this project forward. So obviously this is solving a problem for the community, but um, I know that the other wallet they're talking about is Blade Wallet. Um, and I reached out to Blade Wallet um, asking for clarification. They've told me that uh, ideally they'd move this to a hip. Um, and hopefully that's what the case is. Um, because when we have something like this, that's a core piece of infrastructure that can expand the ecosystem, that would have a lot of impact on the ecosystem, right? If something like this doesn't go through the hip process, people in the community should be pissed off because it says there is an inequality into who can contribute to the network, right? If someone is making contributions to the network or changes to the network or standards, I shouldn't say to the network. This, this in particular doesn't necessarily make changes to the network. This is more of a standard play that, in, that involves software. So I don't want to misrepresent this. This isn't um, something that dramatic. This is just a set of standards and uh, tooling for, for the uh, ecosystem to use. But for something like this, um, to not go through a hit process is egregious. Um, and it shouldn't be that way, right? If the HIP process is required for me and a bunch of ragtag NFT people to publish metadata standards, it should be required for this. So I do hope to see a HIP for um, this proposal. I want to see the community able to have a public conversation about it. And uh, I hope that in the future, ecosystem participants aren't dumping stuff in the repo. God bless. Um, but that's my opinion on this. And, you know, I've heard from many people in the ecosystem about it. Um, I've talked to this wallet and that wallet. Um, and uh, that's my opinion. My opinion is this is something that should be a hip. I don't see a hip yet. Show me the hip and I'll stop whining about it. Um, in good news, Dell's online, folks. Dell is online. The node for Dell has been brought online in New Jersey, USA. Um, cool stuff. I mean, it's great. Uh, fun fact is the specifications for nodes um, for the Hedera network reference Dell hardware, and they have forever. Now they got one of their own. Give yourselves a pat on the back, Dell. <clears throat> um, I'm trying not to laugh too. Whenever I laugh, I start hacking up a lung. This cold is this cold is getting me, folks. We're almost at the end here. We got we we only got uh, a couple more things. One thing I don't know a ton about. I just heard about it today. I took a couple quick notes. Um, what I'm about to say on the diamond standard, uh, you may find more confusing than, than uh, providing answers, but this is what I've gleaned from this. 
There's a new thing called the Diamond Standard use case coming to Adara. <clears throat> Diamond Standard recently launched a secondary market for instant trading of Diamond Standard coins. Uh, spot market allows free trading. Each Diamond Standard coin contains a blockchain token stored on a wireless chip inside the coin with a fungible set of diamonds. My goodness, this sounds like something made by um, James, something from like a James Bond movie. Ownership of the regular license token equates to ownership of the commodity. It can take delivery at any time. <clears throat> it's built on Hedera. Diamond Standard's migration to Hedera, right? That's the key thing here, migration, um, is enhanced speed security um, of its spot market. Diamond Standard's choice to build on Adara seems to be driven by the business solution it offered. So that's what I've that's what I've seen, um, and it kind of speaks to a few different things we're seeing. Like um, uh, on a previous episode, I was speaking to um, uh, Rob Allen about uh, some of these different markets coming to Hedera. Um, I see Rob listening. Hello, Rob. I hope you're doing well. Um, you are probably already experiencing Monday. Um, because you're living in the future in Sydney. So tell me how Monday is. Um, <clears throat> and we talk about Tolem Earth. We talk about the carbon offset market. Um, and now we look at this, you know, diamonds. Um, we look at DLA Piper having tokenized over half a billion dollars worth of assets on Hedera in 2021. Um, what this brings me back to is something that that um, that uh, Scott Thiel from DLA Piper said in a recent interview. Well, not recent. I think it was late last year. He said a better um, metric for the Hedera network wouldn't be TVL, right? Total value locked. It would be TVR, total value represented. Um, and that still stays in the back of my mind because I think about, okay, wow, a diamond spot market, carbon offset trading, you know, half a billion of, you know, traditional assets tokenized on Hedera. <clears throat> and then what do we have for TVL in the DeFi space, right? Like, you know, 50 million. Really gets you thinking how value on this network will be redefined because the, the numbers are going to start getting so big. We're going to, it's going to be um, unignored. It's going to be, you can't, we're not going to be able to ignore it. Um, and it will, again, be one of those things that sets Hedera apart from other networks. Um, and that really brings us through the news, guys. Thank you for sticking it through. Um, I reminder too, tomorrow Hedera has their, um, community call on discord. Remember when they used to do like the, the, uh, town halls, like those zooms every month with Manson Lehman. Remember when Manson Lehman would hop on zoom for an hour every month to talk about Hedera? Um, so they, they're doing these calls in Discord now. Um, I'll be speaking on that call for a little bit. I'll just be sharing some insights from um, various uh, working groups and alliances within the ecosystem that I chair operations committees for. Um, so I've got some cool things to share. No alpha, right? I'm not going to be spilling any beans. I'm just going to be sharing some cool insights. Um, so there's that. Um, and also, too, uh, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. I'm not doing a show next week, guys. Um, I'm taking a day off. We got some family stuff happening. 
um, and family comes first, right? So no show next week. Um, this will have to tide you over. Um, but I do plan the following week. Something that I would love to do is just review some of the top news items from the past quarter, right? From this um, frenzied first quarter. Um, so that might be something I'll do on the next episode. I also have a couple guests lined up that I'm speaking with um, that are very interesting. So I also have people reaching out to be guests. Just a quick note too. I mean, I have people reach out to be guests on the show and all these different types of things. Um, I really appreciate people reaching out to be guests on the show, but to be quite honest, um, you know, they're usually people that you hear on other shows and I don't really know what I'd be, what, what new thing I would be offering other than just giving them another place to talk about, you know, their new use case or, you know, another stop on the book tour. Um, I'm really trying to steer the show in a direction where I find something that is, a very interesting little corner in the ecosystem full of tidbits or somebody that could maybe give insights and answers to a conversation I'm seeing in the ecosystem. So I'm trying to find guests that are a little more off the beaten path or um, people that I think could provide some really great insights. So um, we got some, we got some interesting people coming uh, and I want to try to get people on the show that we haven't heard on on other shows before so because other shows are great i mean a quick shout out to hello future buzz um the h bar bull um those are those are two shows that i listen to that i learned that I, that helped me stay up to date on the ecosystem so um it, you know this show is just the, just a part of a balanced breakfast um so another week behind us and another week ahead. A huge shout out to everyone listening live on Twitter Spaces right now. And an extra shout out to everyone listening to the recording on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, wherever else you may find yourself. If you have a moment, give the show a rating and review on your favorite platform. It helps a lot. Um, and <clears throat> really the key takeaway from this week is we had a frenzied first quarter. Um, and as I was talking about at the top of the show, um, or I guess at the bottom of the show, at the beginning of the show, I got cold brain. Um, it's this asymmetric thing that we have going on right now, right? Um, value on the network going up, price of H bar going down, um, TPS, right? Down right now. Um, the confidence and conviction and forcefulness of communications from Hedera and other entities is through the roof. Um, there is an there is a asymmetric nature to things right now. Um, it feels like we started this quarter more balanced, and now we are way out of whack, but in the best way possible. Um, and something that I could equate this to maybe is something a little bit like a slingshot. As that pebble gets further and further away um, from the sling, you know, that just means that it may go that much further. Um, so that's what I'm feeling right now. Um, now, that is to say, let's not pull it so hard that it snaps. 
Thank you for tuning in to Hashgraph News and Rumors, episode 71 of Frenzied First Quarter. Broadcast live on Twitter Spaces every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and made available on all major podcast platforms every Monday. Get all the info you need about the show and listen to past episodes at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. Make sure to join the Hashgraph Enthusiast Twitter community to share your insights, ask questions, and invite new friends. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, also too, real quick, um, the Hashgraph Enthusiast Twitter community just passed 800 members, uh, which is amazing. We're on our way to 1,000 um, and lots of good combos happen in there. You know, we'll have people that are starting a new project. They'll jump in there and say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a developer or I'm looking for somebody or someone that's completely new to the Hedera ecosystem will kind of be like, I'm new to Hedera. What should I check out? I'll be posting in there. Um, I, I like that the conversation's low noise um, and it's a good spot. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, feel free to send an HBAR donation to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. I appreciate everyone tuning in and I will see you live on Twitter Spaces, not next Sunday, right? The following Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. For everyone listening live now, I'm going to keep this spaces open for a few more moments. You know the drill. Um, if you see somebody listening that you recognize and you haven't connected in a little bit, click their profile, send them a message, ask them what they're up to. I can almost guarantee you um, that they're doing something new. That just is, that's just the vibe of people in this space. Also, if you see someone that you don't know, you see a profile picture in here that you don't recognize, well, you're both, you, you've both been listening to me ramble on for an hour and a half, so you have something in common. Click their picture, send them a message. Uh, what's going on? You know, you might discover your new, your new uh, partner for a project or uh, rediscover an old friend. So with that, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Um, and hello, future. Goodbye, past.